Hi, and welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of Bethlehem Church. We are located in Austin, Minnesota, and I'm Pastor Paul Steele. We are in a sermon series entitled Living by Faith as we look at the book of James. Now, James is a letter found in the New Testament, and it's written by James, who is the half-brother of Jesus. And he's writing to Jewish Christians who are scattered throughout the Roman Empire. He's sharing his wisdom with them so that they can have the knowledge they need to live a life of faith within the culture that they find themselves in. Now, we are in a very similar situation. We're asking ourselves, how do we live a life of faith? How do we follow Jesus in the culture that we live in, in the politics that that we have, with the money and the luxuries that we get to enjoy, within the multicultural and multi-religious realities that are expressed in our society, in our culture. And our hope is that as we go through this book, the wisdom that James shared with these Jewish Christians 2,000 years ago will help give us guidance on how we live a life of faith today. Now let's get into the sermon. So James chapter 2 verses 1 through 13. This, this is one of those passages that I think it's easy for us to read and just kind of think, oh, this doesn't really apply to us. And uh, like... Like, we, we don't necessarily see us, ourselves as showing favoritism or discriminating. Like, hey, that, that, that's not us. So it's easy, I think, for us not to hear what God has for us in, in, in a passage like this today. So, so let's take a look here at James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. That's where we'll be this morning. So I want to start with this question, though, of do you know what it's like to be an outsider? What is it like to be on the outside kind of looking in? It was 15 years ago, and I was the pastor at the Storm Lake Church of Christ in Storm Lake, Iowa. And, uh, and that's about roughly 40 miles or so from where I grew up in Sutherland, Iowa. And, uh, and uh, it, was, it was my 15-year uh, high school reunion, 2007. Did I say that? 2007. So 15 years ago, 2007, 15 years. That means 30 years since I graduated from high school this year. Um, anyway, uh, and... Uh, it was the night of our of our reunion, and I went to Primgar, Iowa. So the school I I graduated from was made up of three school districts: Sutherland, Polina, Primgar. One of my classmates had owned a bar in Primgar, and so that's where the the reunion was held. Now you would think that if you were going to have a class reunion, you'd kind of rent out the whole space at least. Uh, no. I went as a pastor Saturday night to a bar, and it was filled with people I didn't even know. 
and talk about feeling out of place. You know, I, I'm as square as it gets, right? Right, like, like, I, like I've never drank alcohol at all in my, in my life. Like, like I told, felt like, why am I even here? I can't even talk to the, the people I want to talk with. You know, and I'm not going to get anything because all they're doing is serving alcohol. Like, why am I even here? I felt totally out of place, like an outsider. Like, I don't belong here. Every day, we are around people. Every day, we interact with people. Every day gives us an opportunity on how we are going to treat those around us. Are we going to treat them with love and respect, inviting them into our lives? Or are we going to push them to the side and show them contempt and disrespect? How are we going to treat other people? See, the way we treat people shows how well we keep the commandments. How we treat other people shows and exposes the faith that we have in Jesus. Since we interact with people every day, how we treat people should be a primary concern of our lives. And yet, because we interact with people every day, we think, oh, we've got this covered, right? Uh, we know how to interact with people. And we really don't give it much thought on how do we treat other people, how do we interact with them. And so as people who follow Jesus, we come to the Bible. And when we come to the Bible, one of the questions we come looking for an answer to is, how should we live? How should a disciple of Jesus live? And as we look at the Bible, as we read, especially here, the book of James, the wisdom we receive is this. A disciple of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus lives each day by faith. A disciple of Jesus lives each day by faith. Okay, I know that. You know that. But that's easier said than done, right? Just like it's so easy to say the, the, the goal of our lives or the mission of our lives is to love God, love people. Well, that's easy to say. It's hard to do. How do we go about living each day by faith? Well, James offers some practical advice to help us make application to our lives. Not only does he share with us the wisdom, but he, can, he also says, hey, this is what it looks like. This is what you should do. So James here, as we look at our text this morning, reminds us that faith is a matter of how we live. Faith is a matter of how we live. So James chapter 2, starting with just verse 1. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? How can you claim to have faith? 
How can you claim to have faith? See, our faith is seen in how we live. It's not just something that we believe privately. No, it's exposed by the way that we live, by the choices that we make, how we live our lives. Now, James says something very surprising about Jesus. So he says, first of all, he says that he is our glorious Lord. The glorious Lord. You know where that term shows up in the Bible? Shows up in the Old Testament. You know who it's referring to? God. So James is saying that our glorious Lord equals God. And then he says he's Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ. That word Christ, right, is the Greek word for Messiah or king. So Christ is equals king. So James is saying that Jesus is both God and king. And who's James in relationship to Jesus? His brother. Now, isn't that surprising that James would say this about his brother, that he is both God and king, both God and the Messiah. So something happened to James that convinced him that this guy that he grew up with, his brother, It's the Messiah. It's the God of Israel. Just think about that. That's an amazing thing for James to admit, to confess. And and so if, if Jesus is both God and king, that means he's in control, and our faith... It's seen in our obedience. God is the one, Jesus is the one in control. He's the one that sets the agenda. We live according to his will. And our faith then, our commitment to Jesus, is not only the fact that we believe that Jesus is God, that Jesus rose from the dead, right? That, but it's also seen in our obedience, doing what God has asked what Jesus has told us to do. And what we see here is that James says, God cares about how we treat people. God cares about how we treat people. He says, how can you claim to have faith in God, faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, and yet you show favoritism? You treat people unequally. How can you have faith? So our faith is seen in how we treat people. That's one of the ways our faith is seen. God cares about how we treat one another. So what does this look like? What does this mean? What was was the church doing? So James gives an example, verses 2 through 4. For an example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in, who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention, 
and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? For example, for example, James says, this is probably something James has witnessed happening. He's gone into their assembly, into an assembly of these Jewish Christians, and they've had visitors. They've had poor and they've had rich, and how they favored the rich over the poor. So this was probably an ongoing thing. This was something that was really happening. And this, this whole discussion, right, flows out of what James has just said in, James, in, in chapter 1, verse 27, that pure and faultless religion is, what, taking care of those who are vulnerable, the widows and the orphans? Like, if you want to have this religion that connects you to God, then this is who you have to care for. And so he said, how can you do this in your assemblies? How can you favor one over the other? So why would they, why would they do this? Why would they be tempted to show this type of favoritism? Well, remember, the vast majority are living in, people that are living in poverty. So somewhere 90% plus of people are living in poverty. One of the things that people would do was they would find a rich patron to help support them. Now, if somebody was your patron, then you were kind of at their beck and call. Like, like if you had this big party that you wanted to, to throw, you'd call on all these people and say, hey, come, because you want to show, hey, I have this much influence, so the more people you get there, the better. If you want to make a parade down the street, you'd get all these people. And so there was a benefit to being a patron over from somebody who was rich. It was kind of their, one of the ways they could do a side hustle. Hey, I have my gig here, but I need some extra cash, so I'm going to say, hey, I'll be at your beck and call, and they get a little bit of extra income. Or just think about your small house church. Like, wouldn't it be good if we could have, you know, one of these guys bankroll what we want to do? Like, that is a real temptation. So that explains why they would go to the rich and, and just fawn all over them. But why would they treat the poor with such contempt? Like, hey, you just don't even matter. Why? Because the poorer you are, sometimes the more hardship, more, more difficulty that you bring in. Like, hey, we don't want a part of that. And plus, there's that, that idea that, hey, this person's successful, they're rich because they're blessed by God. This person is struggling because they're not blessed by God. 
And we don't want that part of us. But, but James says, the fact that you're making these types of judgments reveals that the desires, the motives of your heart are all messed up. They're all messed up. He goes on to say, well, this is why your motives are messed up. So verses, verses 5 through 7. Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Like, he's saying, like, this is, doesn't make any sense for you to, to, to show favoritism to this group and not to this one. Right? This connects back to chapter 1, verses 9, uh, 9 through 11. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. So James has already dealt with this. Hey, the poor have an advantage because being poor helps them, gives them a chance to rely more fully on God to trust God rather than their riches. The riches have this this thing. They need to to under they need to humble themselves and not rely on their riches, but rely on God because it's all going to go away anyway. It's all going to fade away. So James is saying this doesn't make any sense. Uh, you you would rather in God's economy, right, to be poor so you can learn how to trust God than to, to be bankrolled by these rich people who are, by the way, the ones who are persecuting you, are the ones who are dishonoring the name of Jesus. Like, why do you want their favor? They don't even believe in Jesus. They don't even, they don't even have your same faith. Why are you doing this? Why would you do something like that? See, this reveals, because it's so illogical, it reveals our desires are messed up. So whenever, whenever we're doing something that just doesn't make sense, like why, like why would we do something like, it reveals our natural desires aren't what they should be, right? Like, like, like we are, we're, we're following our evil desires, rather than listening to God's wisdom. So how do we overcome our natural desires? Verses 8 through 11. Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself, but if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin. You're guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all the laws except one is guilty, is as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's law. For the same God who said, you must not commit adultery, also said, you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. You have still broken the law. So James says, the way we overcome our natural desires is to obey the royal 
law. To obey the royal law. So one of the things that, that I, I think James is doing, he's anticipating the argument people would give for favoring the rich over the poor. They would tell James, hey, we're just loving our neighbor. That's what we're doing. We're loving our neighbor. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? James says, well, that's good. It's good to love people because, uh, because that's the royal law. The royal law is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. Why is that the royal law? Well, one reason that's the royal law is because it comes from the lips of the king. Right? In, uh, in Mark chapter 12, verses 29 through 31, that's what Jesus said. Somebody asked, hey, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, to love God, to love people, all the other laws depend on this. So this is, a, this, is, this is the law of the king. The king, King Jesus, has given us this law. But the other reason that it's the royal law is because all the other laws depend on it. All the other laws depend on it. So if we break one law, we're breaking it all. Why? Because we're not loving God. We're not loving people. If we commit murder... We're not loving God. We're not loving people. And so we've broken the law. But on the flip side, right? if we love God, if we love people, what are we doing? We're keeping the entire law. And so it is the royal law because all the other laws depend on it. We overcome our natural desires by obeying the law God has given. By obeying the royal law, the law of the kingdom of God. So the question comes up then, are we good citizens of the kingdom? Are we good citizens of the kingdom? Verses 12, through 12 and 13. So whatever you say or whatever you do, Remember, you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you've been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. So whatever you say, whatever you do, whatever you say, whatever you do, we are going to be judged. That's what James says. You are going to be judged. And you want to be judged by the law that gives freedom. The law of love. To love God, to love people. Because when we're judged by that law, we're judged with mercy. We don't receive what we deserve, but what, rather we receive the love and the forgiveness and the compassion of God. But this is where it gets hard, right? And this is where, as Christians, sometimes we're like, did Jesus really say that? Did James really say that? Because they both say the same thing. 
when you read the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are our debtors and lead us not into a time of temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then Jesus goes on to say, hey, forgive those who have sinned against you because if you don't forgive them, then your heavenly father isn't going to forgive you. What? Jesus really say that? What does that mean? What's what's he saying? What is he saying? This should make us pause for a little bit. Make us a little uncomfortable. Like, there is something about being in the kingdom of God where for us to really live it out, not only do we have to accept it into our lives, but we have to do it. We have to do it. So in the Lord's Prayer, right, Jesus says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is God's will done here on earth? How does God's kingdom come here on earth? Through the people who believe in Jesus. Through us who are God's people. And so N.T. Wright says it this way. He says, This is a bad paraphrase. Uh, He says that we can accept the forgiveness. We can accept the mercy and say, yeah, I want to be in the kingdom. But by our actions, by not giving that forgiveness, by not showing that mercy, we are saying, hey, no, I don't want any part of this kingdom. I want the benefits of the kingdom, but I don't want to live as a citizen of that kingdom. And that's why those are related, right? Jesus gives us forgiveness, but we're not going to experience the fullness of that forgiveness until we forgive those around us. We're not going to experience that mercy until we're merciful to those who are around us. God cares about how we live God cares about how we treat people. And by our actions, we reveal whether or not we are truly kingdom citizens. So what do we need to know? What do we need to know? We need to know that we are to accept other people. And we do that, first of all, by showing courtesy to all. Verses 2, or chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Showing courtesy to everyone. Everyone is created in the image of God, which means we are to show them respect. We are to show them respect. When John Wesley lived, uh, the church, especially the church in England, had grown to be very elitist. And the common person wasn't allowed in. 
And so in 1739, one of the things that John Wesley started to do, and this was one of the things that his ministry was known for, is that he started to go to the fields where the coal miners would gather before they went to their jobs. Or early in the morning, he would go and he'd preach to the coal miners. And it said that, that, their, that, that their, the streaks could be seen on their cold, darkened faces. Because they'd never heard that before. So the people who were at the margins, John Wesley said, they need to know about the kingdom too. They need to know about God's mercy too. So I'm going to go and preach to them. And in the same way, his friend John uh, Whitfield, here in the United States, when he came over here, when the slave ships would come in, what would he do? He'd go down to the docks and he would preach the gospel because he said, they are people too. They need to hear this too. Show respect to everyone because we're all created in the image of God. How can we show people respect? So we need to show courtesy to all. We have to have compassion for all. In Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, we have this we have this uh, parable of the rich man and Lazarus, where the La- Lazarus is this poor beggar whose body's covered in sores, and he lived in, in front of the house of this, of this rich man, and the rich man had all the comforts in the world, and he did nothing for him. And so when they died, how were they judged? Well, the rich man was judged by the things that he did not do for Lazarus. The lack of compassion that he had for him. He wasn't judged for not believing in Jesus. He wasn't judged for not... No, he was judged by the way he treated somebody else. And again, I think Jesus is is trying to help us understand, like, this is important. This matters. This isn't just, like, like if you believe in in Jesus, then then, then everything's good. No, there is something that Jesus wants us to understand, that, that this faith has to live out in the things that we do. And the way that we, especially in the way that we treat other people, so if we claim to follow Jesus and we treat other people like they're things, like they're dispensable, like they don't matter, then we're not living in faith in Jesus. And we need to hear that and we need to process that and we need to wrestle with that and we need to constantly come to our lives and evaluate how we're living and, how, and asking ourselves, how am I treating those around me? Like, this is a hard thing. This is hard. And I think it's good for us to wrestle with it today. See, our compassion should extend to everyone, even our enemies. That is one of the biggest things that is going on in our country today is that we want to see everyone as our enemies. We want to see other Christians, and and we're judging them and and saying, no, they're our enemy because they believe A, B, and C. Rather than showing love, we want to see what 
tape brings us apart, and we want to emphasize that. Oh, it's so important for us to remember that God calls us to love our enemies, to love everyone, to love our neighbors. God cares about how we treat people. So if we're going to accept people, we need to show courtesy to all, we need to have compassion for all, and we need to be consistent in all, verses uh, 10 through 13. See, we can't just cherry-pick this law and this one and do the things that we, we want to do. Like, that's not what Christianity is. Christianity isn't a smorgasbord, and we're like, hey, I like this part, but I don't like that part. No, we have to do it all. We have to do it all. We can't ignore it. Because all the laws, right, all the laws are built on the one law of loving God and loving people, of loving everyone. And as we love other people, as we forgive them, as we show them mercy, as we have compassion on them, we show that we're living in the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35, Jesus tells this parable. He says, the kingdom of, God, the kingdom of heaven is like, a master who decides it's, going, it's time to settle his debts. And so he calls people in. And one of his servants owes millions of dollars. And he can't pay it. So the master says, hey, I, I'm going to sell you, your wife, your children. They're all going to go into slavery. And the man pleads, hey, have mercy on me. I will pay it back. And the master is so merciful, he says, okay, I'm just going to forgive this whole debt. And that servant goes away, and he happens to bump in to a fellow servant who owes him a few thousand dollars. And says, hey, where's my money? I can't pay it. Hey, authorities, come and throw this guy in prison until he can pay me. And then word gets back to the master, right? And the master calls the, the servant back and says, hey, you evil servant. I showed you mercy. You should have shown this person mercy. Now, you're going to get what you determined he'd get. Yeah. And when we receive mercy, but we're not willing to give mercy, it's saying we're not part of the kingdom. We're not living in the kingdom of God. And so the way we bring the kingdom into our lives, the way we bring the kingdom into this world is to love, to show mercy, to be compassionate, to be forgiving. And this is hard. It's not supposed to be easy. It goes against our culture. It goes against our nature. And so we ask God for compassion. We ask for strength. We ask for faith so that we can live what the kingdom out in our lives. So here's the bottom line this morning. A disciple of Jesus treats everyone as people who are created in God's image. A disciple of Jesus treats everyone as, a, as people who are created in God's image. There are no exceptions. We can't say we love our neighbor, justifying how we treat one person while we're ignoring someone else. 
and treating them with contempt. That means we're not, we're not representing Jesus well. So our challenge this week is this. Pray for someone you need to forgive. There's somebody in your life that you need to forgive. Pray for them. And then start to make, take steps to forgive them. Take steps to forgive them. Thanks for watching and listening to our sermon today. I hope that it was an encouragement to you as you follow Jesus. If you've benefited from our Sunday morning live stream, from our bottom, bottom line videos, uh, or this sermon podcast, one of the best ways you can support us is simply to give. And you can do that by going to our website, BethlehemChurchAustin.com, and following the Give tab. If you have a question, if you have a prayer request that you'd like other people to be praying about, don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can leave a comment. You can send us a, a personal message. You can email us. But we would love to be in contact with you. We'd love to, to be praying for you. That's one of the benefits of being part of the worldwide global church is that we are in this together. So have a great rest of the week and God bless.